0: Hey everybody, it's H. Welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason. I was like,
1: okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's, is, that's it? That's the deepness? Cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and by Industrial Light & Magic visual effects editor, Lorelei David.
2: Is he the Leslie Nielsen of our gen- Well, I mean, I guess Leslie Nielsen was Leslie Nielsen of our generation.
0: On this episode, we discuss the Lady Jessica herself, Rebecca Ferguson, in 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout. We cover how much we miss traveling, dissect special effects techniques, and try to figure out just what the hell Tom Cruise is up to anyway. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Be cool, like the Eastern Heretic, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, as it really helps new listeners find the show. And now, without further ado, Fallout.
2: It's I'm amazed. I've been at ILM. It's been um, I've been here for 22 years in January. So I'm like I'm a graybeard over there now.
1: Yeah, for real. It. Do people tend to have, like, long tenures like that there?
2: Not so much anymore. I mean, it used to be a lot more, um, but th- it's still a thing. I mean, we there's a ceremony that we do every year. And I, I wish I could show you, but it's in the other room. I'll show you afterwards. But we get a... When you've done 20 years, there's a whole ceremony and then they give us a little statue and it looks like 3PO and he's standing like the Oscar.
0: Oh my God. Oh, nice. Oh my and God. it's really, you know, it's
2: got my name engraved on it and it's, yeah. it's just nice. But it's nice, I mean, it's like it's a family there because we've all been there for so long. And mine is literally my family because Michael works with me too. Oh, wow. And then Jules went to the um, Lucasfilm daycare. Mm. So he went to preschool at ILM.
0: Oh my God. So were you at
2: Kerner? Yeah.
0: That's amazing.
2: It's been crazy because, you know, I was at Kerner and it was like there were maybe a few hundred people and now we're a global company. And it's insane to me because it used to be when you train somebody, you would be able to like talk to them and like sit down with them. And now you have to like write all this documentation and make sure that it's understood by people in Singapore. And it's, it's been crazy watching this evolve over the years.
1: I don't think I
0: know what Kerner is. Sorry, that's the old uh, location in San Rafael where ILM started, I guess, for Empire?
2: Original, the original New Hope was back down there. It was in Van Nuys. And then, yeah, I think for Empire, it moved up to San Rafael. Right.
0: There's a very nondescript set of buildings that are in San Rafael. I drove by it yesterday and I was like, oh, there it
2: is. <laughs> I miss that place. I mean, you know, it was like so janky and full of history when we were back at Kerner.
1: Right. Did you ever get the Pixar tour? Yeah. Like where they that's a good tour. Well,
2: I mean, I get it uh, my maybe, friend maybe. showed me around, so I don't know if there's like a
1: Yeah. It's like where they show you like the secret rooms and stuff. Because they have like secret rooms built in.
2: Their little tiki rooms. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: hmm Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The tiki rooms and stuff like that. That's a good that's a that's an all-time office tour. Uh but you I ILM would beat it for me. I just that, that would that would be the pinnacle for sure.
2: It's just kinda cool because we have like all these props, right? Like we have yeah. ET. We have uh, f- Yodo,
0: Yeah. My sister-in-law was at Skywalker Sound. Um, and so got to go see a bunch of movies over the last oh. couple of years at the ranch. And it's just amazing. I've I'd, I'd been there before. It's just such a cool yeah, space. Yeah. That's
2: a great place to see. I mean, oh my God, that theater is amazing.
1: Yeah. That's like a reference. <laughs> see it in the ultimate reference theater.
2: For sure. Yeah.
0: The stag. Well, I, I saw, I saw uh, episode eight there can't remember if we saw episode nine there, but like all the, Avenger, the recent Avengers movies, all that stuff all all played there. It's great.
2: Nice. Nice. That's a great theater. I just wish it wasn't so far up there. Like I love, mm. you know, I used to be able to go up there during lunch when we were in San Rafael, but now we're right. so far away that I have been there in forever.
1: Because where do you, wait, where's the office now? I missed that.
2: It's in the Presidio.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah. The Letterman campus. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the Yoda statue there. I had a, a friend who had a startup in one of those off op- in one of those office buildings there.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. There's a bunch of tech stuff in the other buildings. I'm
0: I'm in San Anselmo, so that's where I live, and so we're very George heavy. He's like you know right right around the corner, uh, and then we got the Yoda statue and the Indiana Jones statues in our public park. So pretty good.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm grateful that George brought you know everything up to Northern California because otherwise we would all still yeah. be yeah. Hollywood Van Nuys yeah <laughs> that's right
0: well let me just ask what does a uh, visual effects editor do exactly
2: exactly <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> roughly <laughs> I like
2: to say um, to put it in the most nerdiest terms possible that I'm a protocol droid between visual effects and editorial okay because I can I can speak visual effects and I can speak editorial and they need to somehow be able to communicate with each other when you're when you're on a movie. Um it's a lot of mm-hmm. like project management but it's also a lot of technical skills are needed because um, ha- there's a lot of technical things that you have to know on both sides um, it is definitely one of the more technical aspects of editorial because when you think of editors you think of you know oh we're cutting the movie but there's a lot of backup support there's a whole army of people that are making sure that everything runs smoothly so I'm mm-hmm. part of I'm part of the army
0: that's amazing amazing
2: and it's it's great if you know, if you want to work in movies and you're OCD, it's perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're doing this because we're really excited about the new Dune movie. Um, and Denny has clearly established a track record, whether it's Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. The guy is good at doing effects movies, but also keeping them super grounded. Um, so I'm kind of curious your take on that approach.
2: I think I'm, re- I'm really excited. Actually, so you guys got me all hyped about Dune, because I wasn't really thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, and then that's what we do. <laughs> that's awesome. I think more people need to be hyped about that. But the funny yeah. thing is, before, uh, before I talked to you guys, my friend that we're in, we're in a quarantine pod with another family, and uh, my friend mm-hmm. Chad, who's in the other family, he had started reading Dune pretty recently. And he was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I forgot how awesome Dune is. You've got to read it again. So I started reading it again.
1: Oh, wow. Mm -hmm.
2: And I love it. I forgot how much I loved it.
1: Killer. Oh, great. That's awesome to hear.
2: And Rebecca Ferguson, I think, is going to be an amazing Lady Jessica. I think she's so perfect for it.
1: Yeah. Hell yes. She is really perfect for it. So had you read Dune before? Is this your first time? You read it before?
2: I read it in high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't remember much. But in college... In our dorm, there were these two guys, Gabe and Dave. And any time you walk into their room, no matter what time of day it was, it was either Street Fighter or Dune. Dune was Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Classic. So, yeah,
2: I watched Dune a lot that year.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: That is awesome. Well, well, Lorelai, David, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Dune Pod.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah, we're really happy to have you here. Uh, and tonight we are talking about Mission Impossible Fallout, um, a, a, just an unbelievable action movie and, and just a really, a really fun ride and starring, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Um, so she's, she's pulling us to this film and it's just great to see her performance in this, uh, and others. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Oh man, hold on. I think I'm going crazy. I've got like some extra audio feedback or something.
1: Don't go crazy. We don't need that. Last week, Matt really lost his shit. Last week. He really like, he really kind of came unglued. He like both, he chanted in old Irish and he also confessed that he listened to the full Mueller report while running, or something. Like he's just all of his lunatic vibes came out last week.
2: I heard that. I heard that. And I yeah. liked your, yeah. I like Jason. I liked your Doctor Octagon reference. That was pretty.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Made me laugh. Yeah, Matt's Matt's kicking himself for not dropping in the, uh, the. I sent him the link to the audio. What like what lyric I was talking about, uh, but it didn't it didn't make the final cut. Oh, it's so making
0: the cut right now. Like we're making, oh, we're okay. listening it's to it right putting, now. <laughs> Gauge anti-freeze, octagon, oxygen, and luminum intoxicants. More waste up, low blood cells in your face. React with four bombs and six fire missiles. Armed with seven rounds of space doodle pistols. You may not believe living on the earth planet. My skin is green and silver, forehead looking mean. Astronauts get played tough like a ukulele As I move the rockets
1: over. It's being put into the super the super cat.
0: That's right. No, it's gonna be put right here. Okay, oh good,
1: perfect. Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll get it to here. Love Dr. Octagon. Uh, so, uh, killer. Well, so, so just around the corner, we'll talk about Mission Impossible Fallout next week on Dune Pod. Very excited. We have Emmy winning director and producer Rob Schroeder, who is going to join us to tackle Denny Villeneuve's 2013 masterpiece, Prisoners. Oof. This is an unbelievable movie. is very intense, uh, but it's Hugh Jackman and uh, Terrence Howard and um, I almost said Terrence Malick. It's definitely not Terrence Malick, uh, but Terrence Howard and um, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, David um, Dasmalkian and, um, and Roger Deakins as the cinematographer. So mm. just an absolutely beautifully filmed and, and really great movie. So that, that's next
3: week
2: so exciting.
0: Yeah. All right. So how about we just get down to a little bit of Dune news?
3: Would you like to know more?
0: So we have a couple of items here. The first one announced yesterday, there is a new Dune RPG coming in 2021.
1: Nice. Oh, I missed that. I missed that news. A board game.
0: Well, there've been board games and, and, and other things that have been released, but, uh, but it was announced yesterday. Modifius. Uh, who are the makers of the Fallout RPG, as well as the Star Trek RPG, um, have gotten the license and are are making a new uh, set. They have a beta that people can sign up for. One thing that was interesting is they noted that um, included in the team uh, was a writer named Khaldun Khalil, an Arab-American of Palestinian descent with a background working in the oil industry, counterintelligence, and political consulting. Whoa who has been working on Vampire the Masquerade for like 12 years. So gaming, but with also like relevant in the field uh, kind of experience. So that is pretty exciting.
1: Wow. Exciting.
0: Uh, I guess I would ask, what would each of your uh, character choice be if you were going to choose a character in the Dune universe to RPG, knowing nothing so far?
1: Or, or class, I guess. Or, like, or class. Yeah, you you go yeah roughly. I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to think.
0: Uh, sure. I'll go for, um, for, I'll go for like a, uh, a ducal, uh, air of some kind, <laughs> mm. like getting, getting involved in the struggle, uh, and, and playing politics in the Lancerat and figuring out how to move from there.
2: I'm getting all jazzed about benet So I'd have to like, yes. I don't know, be with some politician that I like, I guess. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But being a Bene Gesserit initiate or something would be yeah. super cool. Yeah. Like a low level version of the voice and being able to get out and, and do stuff. That would be awesome.
1: I think I would be a guild navigator and just chill in my, like, <laughs> my floaty space tank. Like, just like, you know, use my worm flaps to like direct <laughs> ships. Just be a, basically a stone bus driver. <laughs> I've taken the spice. <laughs> I'm taking yeah. the spice, man. Where do you want to go?
0: Jason, that was a great role on that uh, on that folding of space. Um, yeah. So you can just go in the other room for about the next four hours, Jeez. and then we'll call you when we're ready to go uh, to the I'm next be planet. be
1: folding some space. <laughs> uh,
0: so excited to see that. Um, we'll have a link to that in the show notes so folks can check that out. Uh, The other piece of Dune news that I had was that Hans Zimmer released a 96-second version of the Pink Floyd Eclipse track that he recorded for the Dune trailer, and that's available online. It's really beautiful. Like, you almost never have the actual crew of a movie be involved in the making of a trailer, whether it's the director or whether it's the uh, the, the composer. And it was a real uh, sort of like amazing thing that they cared that much that they wanted to put that into it. So very cool.
1: It was very cool. It's a good song too. Nice. It made me, it, it reminds me I wanted to re-listen to Pink Floyd and I never got to that this week. So still on my to-do list.
2: Yeah. I was surprised that it set such a yeah. nice mood for the trailer.
1: Yeah. yeah I've, I've come around on it quite a bit.
2: Well, we had discussed. We we generally don't like the idea of
0: using slow pop songs for our trailers because it's so it's overused. Yeah, but this one was specifically a callback to Jodorowsky's Dune that he attempted to make in the '70s, where he had wanted to use Pink Floyd to do the music of the Atreides. So it was like a beautiful continuity uh, and tie that back. So really nice. Yeah, uh, Jason, do you have any other any other Dune news you're tracking?
1: I don't. I got a note that um, my ceramic Atreides pin was no longer shipping next month. So I believe they are holding some of the merch <laughs> that was gonna come out. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I'm not getting any dope Atreides ceramic pins to wear around the house, but that's all right, I guess. That's that's my personal Dune news. <laughs> all
0: right, very good. All right, well, shall we get down to business? Oh yes. yeah. Light the fuse. Mission Impossible Fallout is the toll of living a life in danger and refusing to accept defeat against hopeless odds. Ethan Hunt was prepared to give up everything when he joined the Impossible Mission Force, but his decision to walk away from his beloved wife, Julia, for her own safety haunts him to this day. Having defeated the rogue nation threat of the Syndicate and its leader, Solomon Lane, he's unwittingly unleashed a proverbial hydra of new threats in the Apostles and their unknown leader, John Lark. Now Ethan is forced to chase Lark and a cache of stolen nuclear material through the skies of Paris, the rooftops of London, and the mountaintops of Kashmir. Ethan will be forced to question what moral lines he is willing to cross in order to complete his mission. Caught in the crosshairs of his former partner, Ilse Faust, Ethan must push himself to his limits and beyond to protect his family and his team and keep them from becoming caught in the fallout.
1: I want to watch it again.
0: Obviously, this is Mission Impossible Fallout. This is the sixth film in the franchise. Famously started out uh, in the 90s with Brian De Palma directing the original uh, Mission Impossible, which is a really, really great film. A crazy John Woo mess. uh, And then we had J.J. do a great job in three. Ghost Protocol was very good. Brad Bird uh, in the family. And then with Five and Six, this was uh, Rogue Nation and um, Fallout, Christopher McQuarrie coming in and writing and directing uh, both of these films. You'd seen these before, Lorelai?
2: Yes. I, I feel like uh, they should, They missed an opportunity to somehow fit MI6 into the title.
1: Yeah. Good call.
0: I don't think that would have tested well in, in London, though, right? Like, that would have been that would have I been know, I folks.
2: know. But somehow it just seemed like it should have had to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, Totally. And then Jason, you had not seen, you had not seen this before.
1: I had not seen this movie and I hadn't seen any mission impossibles since three. And like, yeah, I, I think I saw three in the theater. So like, I haven't seen mission impossible movies in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have time to watch, five or four. So I went into six sort of like, just like, and I was kind of excited about it just to be like, all right, what's it like to like jump into a franchise where I have basically no idea what's going on. Uh, and like, will it work? I'm going to be like one of those people that goes like in game and like, just is like, wait a minute, who is Thanos? (laughs) Uh,
0: you're like, I thought it would take longer for them to fight Thanos. That was kind of quick (laughs) uh, at the beginning.
1: It turns out it was fine. It was not, it turns out it was fine. Uh, in terms of, Like feeling caught up.
0: Well, in some ways that's kind of amazing because three ends with, um, Ethan back together with Julia and then, uh, fallout opens with this dream of them getting married by the villain, Solomon Lane, uh, from rogue nation. And immediately you have the idea that this is an action movie, but it also has this really strong emotional core that, uh, that is the heart of that. And to me, that was super haunting the nuclear blast. Um, and even Ethan after the moment that he wakes up, just being really kind of off kilter, um, and trying to figure out his bearings.
1: Yeah. Strong opening. Anytime you can open a movie with like a wedding that concludes with flesh being blown (laughs) off the face of the main character, you're really kind of opening with an exclamation point. (laughs) Good start. I, I, But I like didn't remember, I really didn't remember who the actress was. I knew Tom Cruise was in this movie for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, and like, so I didn't, I didn't remember that that was a lady. And like, I also, for a, <laughs> a little bit of the movie, didn't realize that that was a different lady than uh, <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Okay. Um, so it all made sense eventually, but like, yeah, I was just, I was really going into it with just, just nothing. And I started like, as it started, I like kind of pulled up the Wikipedia for like Mission Impossible 5, I was like, wait a minute. It seems like something will to." Right. But it, it was, it was <laughs> too hard. I just, I uh, just pushed, I pushed ahead.
0: Yes. Too much has happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I thought that was, uh, I thought I that thought was a great, a great opening there. And then we cut from that to um, basically exposition scene. There's like a two minute scene of like all the knowledge dump. And so this was for you uh, to explain what, what you had. It was helpful. Yeah. But it is kind of like Dune in terms of like massive, high bandwidth exposition all in one shot. You know, you got the syndicate, which he stopped, and then you've got the apostles, and they're going to get John Lark, and there's a nuclear scientist. And it's interesting, both five and six feature nuclear scientists who have written manifestos who are trying to blow up the world. Uh, So what's going on with nuclear scientists, Lorelai? What's your your thought?
2: I don't know. I think we have to keep them from running manifestos. I think. It's. <laughs> yeah.
0: How do we do that? Like, what? Like, do they need to be watching more movies?
2: Hopefully. <laughs> um, I, you know, the one thing I really like about these Mission Impossible movies is that, like, you know, they're always trying to take you on all these different turns. So they they're so good at exposition, mm. and I feel like that they're able to do it without making it feel like too hammy.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: really a testament for like the actors yeah. and the and the script writing, right?
0: Yeah. And you always have, I mean, the hallmark of, uh, mission impossible is this really cool opening mission assignments and the, the, the device in this case, it was a book that was Homer's odyssey, um, that was indicative of the journey that he was, that he was about to take. And so that was like,
1: that's pretty funny by the way. So I got, I, I want to say like, I got really deep into this movie, like, despite not, uh, (laughs) despite not having like seen anything about mission, but having no attachment to the franchise. Okay. Um, but I've I've watched all of the extras, and I just concluded the DV like the director Tom Cruise wow. commentary as well. Oh my wow. God! Really? Um, wow! Wow! Yeah, I got really into it. I have a lot of theories about Mission <laughs> Impossible that are going to come out during this commentary. Uh,
0: I, I cannot wait! To, I cannot wait to hear them. So
1: one of the general themes in watching the making of stuff is like a lot of it is just about like praising Tom Cruise. Like, it's just like how, how great Tom Cruise is. Um, and like the part about Homer's Odyssey is amazing because Tom Cruise has this line and one of the featurettes, I forget which, where he's just like Homer's Odyssey. That was an important detail because it stood in for the movie as a whole because it is an Odyssey and it is epic. <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> OK, <laughs> OK, <laughs> I don't think it's is, that's it. That's the deepness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, so I, it is interesting. You have folks, I think Tom Cruise is a very special uh, human being, um, relative, when you have somebody who takes stuff so seriously yeah. and in a world where typically people are posers, pretenders, assholes, not talented, whatever, I put him in the same category as like a Jack White, uh-huh. somebody who is so right. seemingly Pretentious, but is I believe one hundred percent authentic. Like you are going to get everything uh, that that is all coming from a real place, and they're going for it. Um, so I, I think that's a I think that's a really cool item.
2: Yeah, I feel like he really believes in his work. Like it, from what I understand, like on set, he's just such the perfectionist. And he like always hits his marks, and that's why he's so good at doing yeah. his stunts and loves his crews, which is. Cruz loves his
1: cruise. He loves his cruise. That comes yeah. through in a lot of the featurettes. They love him, particularly all of like the technical guys, like all the stunt guys, all the camera guys that he works with. They're they're just in awe of him. Yeah. I do want to like so like not to not to like sort of tip my hand, but my theory about this movie, about <laughs> Mission Impossible. Here we go. And and it's not really a theory. They say it, they say it explicitly. They say it explicitly in the featurettes repeatedly the people who made this movie believe they are the impossible mission force. Like they believe that the making of the movie is Is, the impossible mission that is the mission that they were given if they choose to accept it. Yeah. And, and they, they make that joke Uh a lot. Like when they're talking about it, it's was like, that's just what we do It's mission impossible. Like it seems impossible, but we find a way. And there's lots of stuff that like happens during the making of the movie where it's like, they, they like have some ridiculous technical challenge and they solve it in some absolutely preposterous way. And we'll, I'll cover some, we'll cover some of those as, as the movie uh, unfolds. Yeah. Um, But like Tom Cruise believes basically it's one of two things it's either tom cruise believes that he's ethan hunt like he's like this superhero that like is is saving the world which is explicitly something that tom cruise has said um or um it's uh or it's that this movie is only sort of nominally about ethan hunt and what we're really watching is a Tom Cruise movie. It's a movie about oh, yeah. Tom Cruise. Like the fact that he's playing a character named Ethan Hunt is sort of academic. It's really about Tom Cruise doing all of this ridiculous shit, like as practically as possible.
2: Well, I love the thing I love about these Mission Impossible movies is I really feel like he does these at the beginning. He's like, all right, where do I want to hang out? All right, I want to hang out in London. I want to hang out right. in Paris. Here's the new skill right. I want to learn. I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> right, right,
1: right. right. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to learn how to fly a helicopter. Like they say a thing about the Paris thing is they say like they were shooting something for one of the previous movies and they're like, Oh, that's a cool street in Paris. Let's go back to that one. And they wrote like the movie around like being able to get back to that street. Like it's, it's really, and it's, so it's just crazy hearing them talk about this movie when they're talking about the making of the movie, because they're talking about like, we got to stay on story and whatever. I'm like, But you're not, that's not really what's going on. Like what's really going on is you want to hit these big set pieces and you're building like, you're building stuff around that in order to solve this impossible. Yeah, for sure.
0: So Macquarie was explicit about that in the rogue nation behind the scenes. Uh He said, we started this movie 100% just with the set pieces. We're like, what are the action sequences that we're going to want to have? Right. And then they were like, okay, how do we back into those different things? And they're, they're like, we completely transformed character, concept, story, whatever, all that, just to get to all of those places. Um, and I would say, to, in my opinion, I'll forecast a little bit. I think in Rogue Nation, it was even more powerful than, than in Fallout mm. um, from a story perspective. Um, but this was still a, a, an unbelievable ride. So let's, um, let's dig into this a, um, a little bit more. So, so right, right off the bat on the mission, like, first of all, congratulations. They tracked down the plutonium in like five minutes.
1: <laughs> no problem. No problem. Cut to, yeah, they had that. Well, they had the plutonium tracking app on their, that's like, once you have that, once you have the Beryllium plutonium pro iOS app, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're halfway home. Like yeah. you really only, you really only need to make sure that you've got the latest updates, <laughs> you know, to that. What's the subscription for that? It's a monthly, but you can buy the annual and it's like the equivalent <laughs> of like 10 months. Find so my
2: plutonium. It's a, it's right? a good deal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so it, it goes wrong. They, the, the, the apostles get to jump on them. Luther is almost killed uh, and Ethan has to make the choice whether to save Luther um, or save the plutonium and he chooses uh, Luther. So I will say, I want to, not get all the way into DP work, uh, this early, but this scene was really lens flary to me. Mm. I got a little nervous as I was, as I was rewatching it. Um, just because I was like, there was just something that felt kind of, uh, kind of odd about that. Did Anybody else notice that? Or is that just me?
1: You're just feeling the bad robot logo from the that was, from the beginning. Yeah, and you're, exactly. You were concerned. I don't know. Uh, I I liked in this. I didn't notice the lens flares. I did notice that everyone wears suits to the plutonium <laughs> meeting, which oh, I thought yeah. was a level of professionalism. That was really good. Uh, it's like what I would expect. I don't no. Don't show up in fucking athleisure wear. Like wear you know wear put on a tie. This is a plutonium <laughs> meeting. <laughs>
0: Uh, So having lost those uh, those plutonium, we get to the nightmare scenario and we have nuclear attacks that have been carried out around the world, one in the Vatican, one in Jerusalem and one in Mecca. And so this is like a total nightmare scenario. Tom as, you know, like distraught and, you know, we have Wolf Blitzer, uh, delivering the news <laughs> and the scientist, uh, you know, wakes up and he's in the hospital and he's kind of very excited that his, his nightmare scenario has been pulled off. Um, and they basically interrogate him and threaten him until he agrees to give them what they want. This is, of course. Lorelai, as you called out, this is the first of the, of the fakes, uh, or the twists. Um, but I thought this one was really fun and and just super enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. I really, I really liked that. I, the whole thing where like the walls just fall away. Like I, that's Mm. so dramatic and it's absolutely something they don't need to do. Right. Like like, they got this guy like in a gurney.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You already got his information. (laughs) Now you're
0: just like,
2: it's
1: it's just a fuck with them. Guess what? Not only were we fucking with you were fucking with the walls that fall away.
0: Yeah, and his reaction was great. He was like, he he was completely rattled. Like he did not understand what was happening. When I wouldn't either out. if the walls were falling <laughs> away. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> I thought I was having a breakdown. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, I didn't nu- nuke the Pope. That's another strong <laughs> movie. If you can, if you can both melt the face off of Tom Cruise, and also Nuke the Pope before (laughs) the credits show in your movie. Yeah. I mean, you're really doing something. You're cooking. I mean, I guess, like, this is from the director's commentary, too, which is, like, they basically wanted to, like, delay the start of the movie and see how much they could get away with, like, before the credits of, like, you know, kind of tricking people into thinking, like, oh, we're down this path. And then they, like, do the classic Mission Impossible head fake thing. Like, now you're in the movie. You know what it is. That's credits. Um, which I th- I thought was great, and like that's like sort of what excuses the the ridiculousness of having a a hospital <laughs> room <to> fall away <laughs> Hallway walls yeah i also do want to know how many spots how many credits what's wolf blitzer's imdb look like basically <laughs> like how like how i feel like this happens a lot like you you got to get blitzer uh, right. to do a little fake news a fake news hit he's
2: got an agent probably that like, oh yeah
1: he, like, just, he just bangs out like seven of them on a like a on a weekday in the in the cnn set
2: and then goes back to like actual the world being destroyed stuff going on yeah
0: yeah <laughs> he's like, this is easier to deal with actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a great, uh, a great twist there. The credits were awesome. The music uh, here is, uh, is very good um, through this entire, uh, through the entire film, but coming out of the credits, you've got our first reintroduction to Alec Baldwin as Hundley, um, who is the kind of like the, um, the one giving all the grief, uh, to the Mission Impossible Force, Impossible Mission Force. In the last movie, he is now in charge of the Impossible Mission Force, and I just thought he was great. He looks great. He was very svelte, uh, and yeah. like just his presence was was really fun and and energetic. I
2: love him so much. I is he the Leslie Nielsen of our generation? Well, I mean, I guess Leslie Nielsen was Leslie Nielsen of yeah. our generation, but I feel like yeah, he can, he can do both those roles: super serious and then Jack Donahue.
1: Yeah. That's a really good call. That's a great call.
2: <laughs> I did have a flash of Jack Donaghy. I was like, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Tell us about the divisions of GE. Yeah, you know, <laughs> He's also only four years older than Tom Cruise. No. It's worth It's Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he, Tom Cruise was 56 and Alec Baldwin was wow. This movie. Was wow.
2: Shot.
1: Tom Cruise is 56, I guess is more what, the headline. What is part. the Wilford? When this, I mean, he's 58, but.
2: What is the Wilford Brimley line? The Wilford Brimley
1: uh, it's, oh, it's like 38. Like he's like, the Wilford Brown, I mean, like the, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's blown past.
0: It was unreal. It was un- uh, unreal. I mean, I think Tom looks great um, uh, through this, through this whole thing. And obviously his, his physicality is, Im- is impressive. I do love the quote from
4: Hunley. Some flaw deep in your core being simply won't allow you to choose between one life and millions. You see that as a sign of weakness. To me, that's your
0: greatest strength. I just thought that was that was really cool uh, that that emotional core. It's not like super deep. It's not the most emotionally resonant thing in the film, but but I, it was just a nice tight moment between the two of them. Mm. And then we have our introduction to Angela Bassett yeah. as Erica My Sloan.
1: queen. Yeah, yeah, yes. so Love great.
0: Her. What was the Catherine Bigelow movie from '99? Strange Days. Strange Days. Yeah. Oh wow.
2: Oh, so here's a funny. So every New Year's. Eve, I, for the past, I don't know, six years, uh, I've been watching a New Year's Eve movie. So like the first time, the first time I did it was Harry Met Sally and then it was trading places. And for this year, because I was feeling so dark, I watched Strange Days.
1: Oh my God. What a great movie. Yeah. How was it? How'd it hold up?
2: Uh, it's, it's really good. It's, I mean, it's so funny because it's like, this is what cyber is going to look like in the future. And it's like, no, that's
1: totally what it's going to look like. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's a, that's just a real gem of a movie right there. And
0: she's great. I have not revisited from, from that time. I just, when, when she was in that film, that was at the time, I think Cameron had the rights to X-Men or was developing a treatment for X-Men or something. And everybody was like, this is storm. Like, let's go. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: In like 2000, you know, or whatever is
1: earlier, right? Strange is 95. I didn't yes. realize that James Cam. I didn't realize James Cameron wrote Strange. Oh Days, yeah, number yeah, one. Yeah, because
2: uh, he was married to Bigelow. Yeah,
1: yeah. that part I kn- I didn't realize. That's amazing. And Ray Fiennes just really taking a wild turn in his <laughs> in his career, right there. I mean, I guess he played Voldemort. We might have to put that on the list. I would love to I, any excuse to watch Strange. Is, okay, have Lorelei back to cover oh, it. It's
2: awesome. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Totally
0: do that. Yeah. So uh, so Erica basically shows up, Erica Sloan shows up to say, hey, the CIA plane, you got to work with us and you have to take John Walker, who is her her like lead badass CIA uh, guy. And that's Henry Cavill, um, star of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. So they go onto the plane to, to go do their mission, uh, basically to go find uh, John Lark, the head of the apostles. So that shot, of the C-130 mm-hmm. in front of the moon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you remember mm-hmm. that shot?
1: Yeah, it's a, that's the. It's one of the few CG shots in the movie. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like not one of the few CG shots, but that's a totally CG shot. Like, that plane is not real. That,
2: that whole movie, there Got is it. there is some form of visual effects in every shot of this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 t- totally, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. And, and I actually, I want to talk about that with respect to the halo jump in particular, uh because like, that's like, that's like one of the conceits, which we're now at. So like, let, let me say two things. First of all, The idea that they have like John Lark's RFID code, but they don't know anything else about him, just seems like completely (laughs) wild. Like they don't like like they have like this one very identifiable thing. Like he registered for this party; they know exactly who it is. They've got the code. They don't know literally anything else, like what he looks like, right? Where he's born. Okay, I guess.
0: (laughs) I mean, unless unless Walker planted it.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. Like (laughs) at this point, it's like getting into like a schizophrenic theory of like reality. Like okay, uh, point two is point two is that they. They have to get to this party in Paris and the, the the way they choose to get there is by jumping out of a plane <laughs> for 25,000 feet. I, let me tell you something. That party takes place at the Grand Palais. Uh, I've been to the Grand Palais. You can just walk in the door. You don't need to halo jump onto it. Uh, Like Paris is a you know a city you can just go to. Like it doesn't require like if you're no matter who you are you you don't you can there's many ways in. You can take a train and take a cab. You could bike in, but you don't need to like jump from twenty five thousand feet onto the building you're going to like
2: onto a glass roof. (laughs)
1: Like that's doing a lot
2: unless.
0: Unless you want to do a live action halo jump. So let's just talk about this.
1: <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Well, let
0: me just say, I want to say one thing. I did note that there was a, a one long shot of Tom. Like he stands, there's a shot of him standing. He walks oh, to the back yeah. of the plane and he's kind of standing there. And then they cut to hit like right next to him as he walks all the way back up, Mm -hmm. talks to Walker, tells him they need to cancel that. Walker is like, get out of the way. I'm going and does this, does this thing. And then he goes back, he jumps out of the plane and Tom goes, and he jumps out of the plane. And that's the shot where you are below him and you see him going. Mm -hmm,
2: That mm -hmm. is
1: all real. Humans jumped out of planes to make that
0: shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Correct. That is incredible. Like that is, it is. that's just an amazing concept.
2: There's a behind the scenes thing that I've, is on the internet somewhere that I think uh, made the round. I think Todd Vaziri, my friend, Todd Vaziri, who we should talk about because he knows we will all things VFX. Yeah. But um, it, it shows like them doing that shot and the, the skydiver Mm -hmm. cameraman, that is insane. He jumps out backwards. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess he
1: jumps off backwards and there's like the, basically he has to walk backwards as Tom walks towards him. A woman, Taps him on the shoulder, which says, which tells him he has two steps left before he goes out the cargo plane. Oh my god! He he falls out. Tom jumps after him. Tom, like we're friends. Tom, <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom. Tom Cruise jumps after him, and then Tom Cruise has to get within three feet of the camera, right, uh, in order to get that while shot. falling. As Tom says, right? Yeah, while falling. Yeah. yeah, while falling. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so let's talk. Let's just let's spend some time on the Halo jump because it's obviously a signature thing. So. One thing to note, I just want to take a step back. This movie cost $170 million to make uh, before marketing and distribution.
0: That seems really cheap to me.
1: Right. And it made me very excited for what Denny Villeneuve could do with $200 million. Because with $170 million, do you know what the first thing they did to make this Halo shot? They built a new wind tunnel. So that they could go and practice this jump like in a controlled circumstance. So they built giant turbines, like this giant 40 story structure of like a huge wind tunnel apparatus. Why they had to build one from scratch, they could not (laughs) find a wind tunnel out in the world is literally not explained. They just not big enough. They just had to go do one. Tom, Tom, we got one over here. Not big enough. (laughs) They just had to go do one. Okay. That's thing one. Thing two is they had to go. Uh, they had to get the cargo plane. Uh, they got the cargo plane from the United Arab Emirates military, uh, which is where this whole right. shot was takes place. Is in the it takes place in Abu Dhabi. They are not falling over Paris, um, right? Which is to say that anything to Laura's point, which I appreciate her bringing up, that there's not a shot in this movie that doesn't have VFX. The entire point is that they did this practically, like Tom Cruise actually jumps out of a plane. They built the, the oxygen helmet is all custom. He jumps out of a plane 25,000 feet. So like, you know, some stuntman says that he got the bends because they had to test that, the helmet to failure in a hyperbaric chamber. Like r- lunatic wow. shit they did. Like lunatic <laughs> shit. Like they also... What is that credit in the credits? <laughs> yeah, dude who got bent. <laughs> they also only had... They also only had a three minute window every day to shoot this shot because they had to For get the it light. When, the, when the light, when the light was, when the sun was setting. Three minutes is all they had to get the shot. However, the shot is not over. Like they're in Abu Dhabi. Like they, they then right. composited in the entire sure, sure. background of Paris and the storm and, yeah, the and everything storm. else. So, so the whole thing looks like an effect shot because it is an effect shot like the fact that they're falling like is completely there's no reason they had to do all this right I, I don't understand why they had to go through all that and the guy had to get bent they had to build the custom helmet and the wing <laughs> all
0: right Lorelai you you start by explaining artistically why it was important
1: <laughs> for Tom to jump out of the plane
0: I think he wanted to
1: <laughs> that's all it was thank you right that's all it was That's That's,
0: it. That's it. You can totally do it. it. But that is, so to me, and I was going to talk about this later, but that is literally the whole movie. This is just about watching Tom do insane things. And I love it. The fact that he's willing to do it, his commitment to do it, his ability uh, is just, it blows me away.
1: I'm into that too. I'm just saying this is a different, this is a different kind of art form. Like if the point of this is we're watching Tom Cruise loosely portray someone that doesn't really matter be, but what we're really watching is like him do these impossibly contrived stunts because that's thrilling to see a super famous movie star do these like impossibly contrived stunts like yeah that's a weird that's like some sort of like circus act like that's like not like strictly speaking a narrative art form <laughs> like it's some other thing the other thing it could might it could be which was a a thought I had, is that they had $170 million, some of which came from Alibaba Pictures, uh, to make this movie. And they also had this deal with the UAE military uh, to get this plan, this could also just be a money laundering operation, like disguised <laughs> as a major motion picture. Like I mean, like legitimately. Like there's like, razor. I want to see I want to see which contractors were brought in to build this fucking custom wind tunnel in like Abu Dhabi or whatever it was, and, and like a- a- like ask like which who where was this money going to and from? Uh, because I don't <laughs> think it's on the up and up.
2: And then what happened to that? When you you don't think that they like. They built it and then oh we're not going to use it so let's just tear it down again like some something happened to that wind tunnel <laughs> right right,
1: right. <laughs> incidentally th- they in the director's commentary uh, Macquarie brings up the fact that people have questioned why they would do all this if they're just going to like visual effects in paris as the background and he's like yeah you know you can ask that question but the thing you know it just wouldn't look right like the horizon man and that's like all he says and i am not i am not a visual effects artist i am not a director i don't know anything about i'm just a movie watcher but the horizon man is not a sufficient answer to that question it is ridiculous
0: yes i Oh, I will stipulate that it is ridiculous. I will definitely stipulate uh, so, but I'm
2: happy so, to watch it. So I'm happy to watch it in all its ridiculousness.
0: I'm
1: happy to watch it too.
0: hell yeah hell yeah um, so so as they're falling you know he's kind of fight kind of uh, wrestling with Walker and trying to get stuff. So I love when the lightning goes off.
1: Walker, what's the matter hunt? Afraid of a little lightning.
2: That was nice. Mm-hmm. What is that technique called
0: when, uh, like, the film medium reacts to the thing that is happening on screen? Is there a name, Lorelai, <laughs> for that that film technique? Um,
2: well, in sound, like, there's diegetic sound, right? Where yeah. you have the sound, mm-hmm. and the sound is reflecting what's actually, like, uh, one thing that I can think of is in rear window, right? In rear window, all the music you uh-huh. hear is the music that's playing on the radio. So that's, right. I, I don't know if there's an actual term other than that
0: this this so this one i'm thinking specifically of the movie is like narratively we have this dramatic thing that is happening and we have a score that is artificial to the scene but when the lightning happens it strips that away so it it is like a breaking of the fourth wall to say like something different and exciting just happened i mean it is fucking badass
1: you got hit you the viewer you the viewer got hit by lightning too
0: yeah i love that I love that. Yeah. Um, All right. So they make their way down. It's very excited. They land on top and we go into what I have titled in my notes as the Euro trash DJ scene.
1: Can I ask, wait, before we get to that, like uh, Henry Cavill, like he's like, oh, it looks like you lost your oxygen can. Like he has like some kind of quip. Like uh, like, that's like the only acknowledgement he makes of the fact that he almost died, which I thought was like a real dick
2: move. Yeah. Wasn't he unconscious? Like
1: I was like, yeah, it's like you're being real cavalier for a guy who was like, unconscious and like, what do you think happened in the last two minutes? My guy, like you, you, you woke up alive. Yeah. You should be grateful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We should
2: be calling you faller. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He is. I mean, I, I, I had a note on that. Like Cavill's just a dick. Oh Uh, yeah. This, this
2: character of Walker,
0: um, through the, through this whole film is, is an asshole. Um, although that mustache I will say is pretty glorious,
1: really luxurious beard. Yeah, beard and, and like the longer mustache. Really good facial <laughs> styling, facial hair styling. Yeah.
0: Much to again, I guess it was Joss's uh uh chagrin at that point um dealing with the mustache on uh, on the reshoots of uh, of Justice League, but I, I will say now I am ready to talk about the cinematography by Rob Hardy. I thought the interior of this location, the giant sun that was kind of like floating there and then just all of the lights, even though, again, this is a little lens um, I just thought it looked completely magical and, and really, really good. Yeah,
2: it looked, especially down that hallway that they go down, like everything just looked so mm. nice on that. Yeah. And I, I like I like mm. how the different locations just look so different from each other. I thought that that like you definitely yeah. knew. Okay, this is a totally separate place than I was last time.
1: Mm. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot too. This is like another thing about. I think Laura, you made this point earlier, which was that like some some of the movies driven by two things: the ridiculous stunts they wanted to do and the places they right. wanted to hang out. Uh, and I really appreciated during COVID. Like when, you know, I haven't left like my neighborhood, let alone the country in, you know, two years or whatever. It feels like a lifetime. I appreciated this movie as like a travelogue of like cool places that I've, I've been that like hopefully I'll be able to go back to one day of just like it was sort of like Rick Steve's Europe, but like, you know, with like a lot higher production value. Um, And like, yeah, I, I I liked, I liked all, all that of the part of this movie.
2: I missed being around that many people. I, I normally don't like yeah. I normally don't yeah. like being in that, yeah. I'm, I'm not that tall, so I always get drowned out by people. But then I was like, I would be happy to be drowned out in this crowd right now.
0: Totally. But that yeah. DJ, like the look of that DJ. <laughs> like I I think he might have had a suit on as well or so I don't know he was just like dressed up but the 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 bad mustache and the hair and everything I was like what is who is this guy
1: DJ Harvey they say which I don't know (laughs) they do say that but I guess yeah they say in the commentary
0: okay well shout out to DJ Harvey
1: (laughs) I guess I I assume he's I assume he's famous yeah DJ Harvey is a DJ born in Cambridge England he was an early exponent of the U.S. disco garage house sound in the UK okay I I guess shout shout out to you (laughs) DJ Harvey way to go
0: I take it back. Um, so, yeah. so then we have the bathroom scene, which is just awesome—the
2: cleanest bathroom in the world. Oh
0: yeah, totally. So stark, so white. Um, uh, you do have a nice little moment of the John Lark, the target, uh, in the in the room. Does give Walker a look just before the fight breaks out when Tom is looking off to the side. So that was a you know a little bit of the breadcrumb that uh, that Walker is the bad guy. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and then just the fight scene was really great. My favorite part. Um, and one of my favorite parts of, of all of this from fallout is the scene
1: double fist pump.
0: when Walker comes in
1: double fist pump.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just that he's like reloading his guns. Uh, I was like, holy shit. That's
1: awesome it's amazing that it's i mean and like the thing it's hard to go back to the before time before COVID, before the pandemic but 2018 like that was a real moment on the internet mm. the cavill double fist bump uh be it like because it was a huge gif, <laughs> and in the gif you you see that it's partly a reshoot yes because when he cocks his fist his beard grows and his <laughs> shirt develops a pocket square, what? like a pocket. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you look at the gif, I don't know if they fixed it since then, but in the gif, like they, he's the shirt that he's wearing at the start of the shot doesn't have a pocket, and when he cocks his fist. His beard gets bigger <laughs> and his his a pocket a pocket shows up on his shirt. And this created like, I mean, this is a real moment on the internet, so much so that he got asked about it during the press for the movie, or you know, during like a lot, they got like everyone, like they were asking Simon Pegg about it. Like, what's going on with the <laughs> what's going on with the fist guy. Right. And uh, and what Cavill's answer was is that um he cocks his fist so hard. Yeah. That it forces his beard to grow, yeah. <laughs> like it just is like so. It's so serious that he's just like, and his beard, his beard just pops right out.
0: It's man. like a tot- it's like a Totoro, uh, you know, making the the the, the plants grow. Uh, it's a yeah, similar, exactly, similar vibe. Exactly.
3: <laughs>
1: Henry Cavill, Henry,
3: double fist pumped up <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, uh. I do. I, so I, I love all of that. That scene in the bathroom. I love. Like I do want to just question: Do drunk guys hanging out in bathrooms in Paris actually sing "La Vie and Rose" or is that?
3: I
2: was. <laughs>
1: I don't know
0: man. That that seemed like I oh, don't, yeah. I'm not quite sure I, about I was that.
2: thinking th- they're just trying to establish their French, right? I mean after, even after they speak yeah. French, okay, now we're going to have them sing some Edith Piaf. It's a little bit on the nose, I think. Uh, but
1: my question was is like this club is packed. No one else is coming in the bathroom. No.
2: Right? No. And it's that clean like right. I just can't believe it's that clean. Like it really
1: It's very clean. It's a high class party. Yeah. This is definitely high-class Yeah, party. it was a very nice party.
0: All right, so uh, so in the midst of the battle, Ilsa shows up and she shoots the guy uh, in the face, um, takes him out. Um, and mm. so this is the introduction in this film of, of Rebecca. And it's just great to see her here. Um, immediately, she's like kicking ass. And also she has her own independent story that is unrelated to Tom's. Um, and so to me, that is a cool part. She is doing her own journey. She has her own mission. She doesn't have to tell him what it is uh, and she's going to go for it. It's obviously intermingled, um, but I like that aspect.
2: And that she shows up to a party in a suit. <laughs> that seems...
0: <laughs> it is weird. So yes. I noticed in the next, we're going to talk about the scene with the white widow. Um, I noticed when she started to fight, she's wearing flats in this, uh, which is very different from, you know, in, in Rogue Nation. She has these very fancy oh, yeah. shoes, which she takes off to fight. Um, but so I don't know if she's just changed her style now, but I thought that was a a missed opportunity to have, uh, something about her, her footwear, uh, be, be a callback. Um, so we have Vanessa Kirby playing white widow. She's so good.
1: God, she's great.
0: She's fantastic. Yeah.
1: This is the only thing I've seen her in besides the crown. So I was excited to see her in this, uh, and she's fantastic. So is
0: she in fast and furious stuff? Or am I mixing her up with somebody else?
1: Uh, well, let's pull up the old Kirby Kirby AMD. She is. She's in Hobbs and Shaw.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Uh, she's, she's kind of like the third, the third star of, of that movie. So she's clearly having a moment, um, So her character is actually the daughter of the character Max from the first Mission Impossible movie. So that's why she's giving this whole Mm, long monologue about Max and how she's trying to make the world better and blah, blah, blah.
1: She's already cast in Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8, which IMDb notes both as filming. I don't know how that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how movies work.
2: Well, was it no? Wasn't there a thing where Tom Cruise was like renting a yacht or something for everyone to Yes, be he did. housed in. Oh
1: not, yeah. Not not a, not a yacht. Cruise.
0: He he rented a like a giant ship.
1: A uh, ferry. He yeah. He rented it's it's the um uh in Norway uh the Hurtigruten is, is, <laughs> yeah. is the big ferry. Yeah, the Hurtigruten is the big ferry. And, uh, he rented one of those to keep his people safe during the shooting of this.
0: Uh, Tom, I'm sorry. Um, there is a, uh, there's a giant national international pandemic. It's impossible for you to film right now.
1: No problem. I got a (laughs) Hurtie Gruden. Can't stop the, can't stop. I mean, another fact about this movie, besides it being a money laundering operation for the UAE and the Chinese government, I don't know who else, uh, is that it's it had 12 months of principal photography. They were shooting this, they were shooting this movie for it's insane wow. a year. Like I don't I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, they, they talk about it like when they talk about the movie, like major plot points were being figured out, you know, on the day. Like, is this we're we gonna kill Alec Baldwin? All right, yeah, I guess this is the time. I guess the time like in which he dies. It's wild. It's wild. It's one way to go.
2: How long – because there was a break in shooting, right? Yeah, there was a break in shooting. So how long was that break?
1: I only have the 12-month stat. I know that they had, like, the break because – and then they had to go back and do reshoots when, like, various people – like, both Tom Cruise broke his foot and Alec Baldwin had a double hip replacement. (laughs) So, like, there's there's a lot of of parts falling off the old wagon.
2: Oh, and – and Rebecca Ferguson was pregnant
1: but Ferguson was seven months pregnant what? You know, when they came back for, yeah she's in the in the fight scenes at the she's end she's seven yeah she's hecka hecka pregnant, pregnant at the end yeah
0: what oh my god I did not notice that that is for Which sure.
2: is Holy another cow. reason that makes her the perfect lady Jessica
1: yeah, yeah. yes
0: exactly yeah she had the uh, the unborn inside her yeah <laughs> you know, they have a knife fight. I I love the, um, you know, Tom gets tough with, uh, the white widow in there and, uh, and, and, you know, says he's going to save her, get her out of there. And there's an awesome knife fight. Um, and then, uh, she, they go back to her place where she Wait, has
1: one, one note though. Oh, please. He, he says, he says assassins have been sent to kill you. And they look around, and they see some, <laughs> some, scary assassins. Dudes, some bros. And then the assassins growing into action, but like assassins time. have been sent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, assassins have been said to kill you. Apparently, means some dude is just gonna lunge from thirty foot away right. with like a leatherman utility knife uh-huh. and like, guess what? That's not gonna work. Out well for him to get <laughs> Or Oregon's Vanessa. Kirby. I know she She's fine
2: too. Her own, She's not Man, has got a butterfly knife. Yeah, Watch she doesn't out, need help. Man. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was tough.
2: By the she way, I, I love, I was just going to say, I, I love the setting of the scene. Like, it it looks so 1940s glamour. Like, this is another one yeah. just, mm-hmm. like, looks like it's maybe from a totally different movie. I I love this. I love this mm-hmm. party that they were at.
0: Her dress is incredible. Yeah. Like, just like when she's giving the speech, there's just, like, a shot at distance, like, of her back. And I was like, this is, like, a sculpture. Um, It's just the presence that she has there is really incredible. She's great. She's great. Yeah. So they go back to they go back to her place where she has all of her gang uh kind of getting ready and they they lay out the plan. The apostles have the plutonium, but they won't give the plutonium for cash. They will only give the plutonium for dun, dun, dun. Solomon Lane. So this is yeah, this is the mortal enemy uh, of of Tom that he gave everything in order to capture in Rogue Nation. Um, and so they do something here that is really, really cool. Um, and this is, again, this is back on the kind of the technique that we were talking about a minute ago. Maybe this I, there's got to be a, a word for this for this one. they They have the scene of Ethan going through um, breaking out Solomon Lane. And you have the soundtrack, you have the score. I think the track is is called We Are Never Free. And it's super intense. You have no sound effects. It's just the isolated score, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just awesome to see Ethan struggling with that, having to turn around and shoot a cop, come back and shoot a cop in the face, um, and to really wrestle with what it would be like if he snapped, if he had to do these horrible things. That, to me, was very yeah. powerful.
2: That was a really lovely scene. Like, it was so... It was so dreamlike and you didn't know why until they brought you back into her place.
3: Yeah.
0: And
2: they took their time
0: with it. Like, it wasn't like a quick thing. It was maybe two minutes or something. That was, like, they really put you into it and made you think, like, is this actually happening? Um, I, I, I love that scene.
1: There's a detail, there's a detail about that, uh, in, again, from the director's commentary, in which uh, one of the reasons why it looks dreamlike mm-hmm. is they strung up 300 yards of silk along like the arches of the road uh, and so it's got this like diffuse light like where it looks like ghostly and like in and, and dreamlike but the reason they did that was to screen uh, to screen the other Bank of the Seine so that the paparazzi who was hanging out over there couldn't shoot into the into the setting of the of the scene of the scene right Uh, Tom Cruise has this amazing fucking line in the director's commentary in which, like, again, the whole reason they did that is because the paparazzi are following Tom Cruise and they wanted to screen Mm -hmm. the movie set and Tom Cruise from the paparazzi. That's the reason why. Tom Cruise, though, says that the reason why they set up the 150 yards of silk to screen the paparazzi off is because they had such a respect for Paris, the city, and the people of Paris that they didn't want to show the people of Paris this alternate version <laughs> of Ethan Hunt of him being violent. And that wasn't that wouldn't be wow. respectful to France and that wouldn't be respectful to Paris. <laughs> so that that's why they ended up doing that. It has nothing to do with the fact that Tom Cruise didn't want to with paparazzi and they didn't want it was it was about protecting the people of France.
0: That's amazing. That commitment is just impressive.
1: Yeah, they, really, they talk about they talk about yeah. they talk about this a lot because uh, like there's a whole another scene in the direct, like they shot a bunch of the movie in New Zealand. The cashmere stuff is in New Zealand. Yeah, and they do a whole like welcoming ceremony with the Maori in the place where they're filming, uh, and like they talk about in the commentary like when we go to these places, we want to celebrate the town, we want to celebrate the country of where we are, and like it's like a whole like it is like it's yeah. a travelogue. It's like they're just like visiting dope places and doing dope shit, and they want to like. That's like a big part of the franchise.
0: Like, I don't know why there isn't a full series of how it's being made and and what they're doing. Like, that would be like a whole set of documentary stuff. Yeah. If you look at um, Mandalorian is eight episodes, and then there's an eight episode behind the scenes making of series on those eight episodes. Um, So you could imagine something like that, uh, that playing. Mm. We do have the, the Walker uh, revelation where he is meeting with Erica Sloan and he gives her a fake phone that he says came from John Lark and that is our confirmation that he is actually, in fact, Lark himself. Um, and so to me, that was an interesting choice to reveal that at that point in the story. There's still quite a bit of ways to go. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool, kind of a cool touch. So now we finally get to the motorcycle chase. This was so rad. So, first of all, knocking the truck into the water and Sean Harris, who plays uh, Solomon Kane, just the scene where he's under you know, he's at the water and the thing is rolling and he's going
1: under, like, that was so rad.
2: That's such a big risk, right? We're just going to, we're going to try to drown this guy, but then not drown him.
1: Don't worry. Simon Pegg is there.
2: Simon Pegg is there. (laughs) yeah.
0: It was a little vibes to, you know, um, Harrison Ford spending the last, like, 12 minutes of Blade Runner 2049, you know, trying not to drown in a car.
1: Yeah, I did get that vibe. Also, shout out to Sean Harris, who played Ian Curtis in 24-Hour Party People, (laughs) which is one of my favorite movies. I haven't
2: seen that in a long time. I'm going to have to look back at
0: that. I have never seen that. Like, it's a classic. Oh, it's
1: really
2: good. It's really good.
0: um, So... Now we get to uh, just this, the chase, uh, and particularly the motorcycle chase, both for Tom and, um, and also for Rebecca. So there's a shot where Ilsa's driving uh, through the Galerie de Valois, and she's driving really, really fast. And like the sound effects uh, as it's whipping on both sides. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the in her helmet, in her, her faceplate of the helmet, you can see, like, the reflection of everything mm-hmm. that's going on. Like, do you think any of that was real, or I'm guessing that was
1: probably all I'm, digital, right? I'm
2: going to guess it was digital. Usually helmets are, are added later, because all, all that reflection, you're going to get the camera crew. I would think so.
1: But speaking of helmets, they let Tom Cruise ride that motorcycle all around Paris on these, like, fucking cobblestones with no helmet on at all. Just, like, going flat out, like, just— Driving himself around on a crazy motorcycle, doing motorcycle stunts. <laughs> Good for him.
0: It did give me vibes. Um, have either of you seen the um, the video, uh, the rendezvous? No.
1: Um,
0: which it's a it's a video. I'll, I'll include links to it, um, uh, and I'll probably drop in some audio right now. It is amazing, it's from 1976, and it is a guy in a Ferrari, and he's, he's a Formula One driver, and they had a camera mounted to the front of the Ferrari, and it's five oh, o'clock in the morning yeah, yeah, in Paris. Oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're
2: talking about, yeah, yeah,
0: And he's just driving like 80 miles an hour through the streets of Paris, um, and it's, there's no sound other than the sound of the car driving, um, and it's all around uh, many of these streets, many of these locations that we saw are literally in that video, I watched it today, um, so that is, uh, it's just awesome, uh, to see that and to see them driving so fast and, uh, crashes and everything. is was great. Mm. So then we have the scene with the female cop. They, Ethan manages to get away. The team's ready. They're all set. They're loading up into the car to go and they, the garage opens and there's this female cop there. It was almost absurdist for a moment of like, everybody's like <laughs> frozen look, looking at each other. Right. But right. to me, that was super powerful. I really like. Yeah, that scene.
2: like it's funny. You would think that they would get caught in the act more often than just this one time, right? And and they're so like just stunned.
0: They're like they're like nobody knows what to do. They really took their time with the scene, and so she gets shot, um, and he has to decide whether he's going to let her get killed or not. And he decides to break cover, like basically throw everything to the wind because he is not willing to let this this one cop uh, be killed. So I thought that was that was a good touch. Then we get the second chase, which is even better than the first chase. Um, They are driving a 1986 E28 BMW 5 Series. I was getting some definite Ronin vibes uh, through this chase.
1: Oh, yeah. Good call. I I agree with that.
0: We got to watch that, man. I'm telling you. We got to watch that on the show.
1: Yeah. I ambushed you with a fucking coffee cup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, I noticed there's no score through this entire chase, or at least through a significant portion uh, of this chase. Um, and again, the shots were like Tom's driving and they're like zooming in on them while they're, while they're driving. I'm assuming that's some amount of digital something. You
2: know, I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, they might've added a few cars here and there. Uh, one thing that you tend to do during chase sequences or uh, fight sequences is that like you speed it up a little. And like, mm-hmm. I think mm. that they may have done that, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm totally just speculating. guessing speculating. Yeah, yeah.
0: It looked great. Uh, and so then I, I love through this entire chase. Sean Harris is sitting in the front seat, and he's just like not reacting at all. He's just kind of like uh, hanging out there. And then um, they're ambushed by Ilsa, and Ethan pauses, and then drives right over her, uh, sending her flying into the air.
1: Right. And he's like, that was Ilsa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that was like the first thing he says, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: He's
2: like, oh,
0: I, I know that lady. <laughs> and then Tom's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, that was killer. Um, so we go from there. Now we can uh, come back to Todd uh, on the discussion. Oh, yeah. So we have okay, great. Tom. I'm excited about that. Yeah. We have Tom and Ilsa meeting. Where is this location, Jason?
1: Jardin du Palais Royal.
0: Yes. What what is that? I have not been there, so tell me about it.
1: Uh I'm also like the the Palais Royal is a, a royal palace that's not far from like it's not far from the Louvre. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh yeah, that has this garden with these like very um you know some very cement, like French garden layout of trees. Incredible. Looks so pretty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, so. Todd's uh, post that he was originally talking about was about the transition from light to dark, um, and then and then light again. And I think was he saying that was being done digitally um, as part of as part of filming?
2: Typically, what happens is when you're going from a lighter uh, a lighter setting to a darker setting, someone has to like manually be adjusting the the aperture on that. And, um, -hmm. that just requires a lot of coordination. So he was saying in that thread that he had that, you know, what they were doing is that they were able to do it in the DI. Define DI. Uh, Digital intermediary. It's, uh, and color grading. So what they're Mm. trying to do is what you're trying to, all these shots are shot at totally different times of the day. Right. And so you have to like, have someone sort of like bring it all together and make sure that everything sort of Matches, and while you're doing that, you can also affect the lighting within the shot as well. So, uh, looking at that shot, you know, it was exposed for the light, and then they uh-huh. use the trees as sort of a mask, so that when you pass the tree, then they switch the exposure to dark. And it's a really cool trick. I hadn't uh-huh. noticed it until he pointed it out, but Todd's super observant about that kind of stuff. Totally. My, myself, I, whenever I watch a movie, I don't, I don't. Like to be taken out of it and say, "Oh, that's VFX," because mm-hmm. then it takes me out of the story. So it's right. it's I, I it's a testament to Todd that he can like take a look at that and say, "Like, oh, that's a really interesting technique." And and it's a great
0: I mean it's it's a great discussion. I, I really like this. Uh, you know, she unfolds that you know her mission was to capture Lark um, in Paris, and that that was supposed to lead her to Lane, who she has to kill in order to avoid embarrassment for the UK. Um, but she killed. Uh, Lark in order to save Tom. So, you know, she cares more about him than, than her own mission. Yeah. That's not what I'm asking. Why did they send you?
3: This is how I prove my loyalty.
0: This is how I come home.
4: But you are out. You are free.
0: We are never free. That's just, killer uh yeah. and to me like the fact that that track that is playing is called we are never free like i i love the resonance uh of that and the fact that they really um focused on that it's very cool
1: they said in the director's commentary that they wanted ingrid bergman vibes from her
3: mm.
2: she's so steely-eyed you know she's really good. yeah she's definitely gonna not let him get in the way <laughs>
1: it was a good scene
0: that's right That's right. And and we're not used to somebody, you know, not deferring, right? Everyone defers to Ethan all the time. Um, Or in general, in action movies, the hero is always the hero. And so it's cool to have somebody to be like, well, no, I have my own thing and my own agency. Mm -hmm. So we go from there to the second dream sequence. And again, Rob Hardy just killing it. This totally looks like a Rob Hardy shot. Right? Yeah. I was like, they are at Devs HQ. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Loved it. Yeah. The story there was that they, they only had, that it was like a thrown together thing and they just used a bunch of the lighting rigs from the party, the (laughs) disco. Yeah. Uh, and they like threw it together really fast. We're like, we got an idea. Let's go. Yeah.
0: Well, I did hear Macquarie say, um, that no director had ever repeated on Mission Impossible. And so when right. Tom asked him to come back and do this one, he's like, I'll do it, but it has to look totally different from from Rogue Nation. And so that's why he went and chose Rob Hardy to come in and, and do the the cinematography.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, McCory's like the de facto dude of the franchise now, it seems.
1: Yeah, and he's done nine films with Tom Cruise too. So it's like, they're like, very much because they did like Valkyrie together and like a whole bunch of other stuff. So
2: Macquarie, I, I went back to his Twitter account because I was like, oh, he does these really awesome Twitter Q and As where people can just mm. like throw questions oh. at him, and he always has the best, most concise answers. But I just went to his account, and it turns out he deletes all of his tweets after he does them.
1: Really, <laughs> um, which is a bummer. That's smart though. Yeah, it's a bummer, but yeah.
0: smart. Yeah, nice. Well, they bring back. Um, you know, they, they, uh, after Tom has met with Ilsa, they go back and Hunley is there, um, and he is there to get Tom. So this was the part where I kind of sighed a little bit, uh, forgetting what, what happened. And I was like, oh man, like, do we have to have Ethan is being hunted again. It's another double cross against Ethan. Um, they did set up nicely in rogue nation and this, that Ethan actually is going to this really weird place where he's like, if Lane wants to do something, it's going to happen and you can't stop it. Um, I'm going to keep trying, anticipating and trying to move him into positions, but like literally no one can stop it from happening, which is a weird place for a, a, a giant action hero to be, I think.
1: Yep, I agree. He's just kind of like has to kind of surf the wave.
0: Yeah. So from the midst of this, uh, it is then revealed that this was all a double cross uh, and that they essentially trick Walker by switching lane. Um, They get his full confession um, and then all hell breaks loose because uh, uh, Lark is able to activate half of the CIA team who are his shadow guys. Um, so you have a big shootout and we have Hunley dying. I was, yeah. I was bummed when, uh, when Alec Baldwin died, that shot, that shot is great though. It's was beautiful. The, the lighting on his face and Where it's just, like
2: half his face and it's like, Oh yeah, that was, it was such a lovely, yeah. lovely way for him to die.
1: <laughs> you also kind of knew that when Alec Baldwin decided to square up with, uh, fucking Henry Cavill that it wasn't going to work out well for him like you know we'd already seen Henry Cavill do the double fist bump and then there's the scene like in the Paris ambush where he like cracks his neck before yeah. he like this is a serious fucking guy like Alec Baldwin with his double hip replacement not gonna, like you know he's not I don't know what kind of moves he's got but he's got no double fist bump moves at this point
0: but you do at least get the great moment where he puts the gun on him and, and Cavill grabs the gun and he's like oh no bullets. <laughs>
1: He's like, ah, this one's loaded. ha. got you. Yeah. <laughs> I got the rope-a-dope gun. Yeah. That part, that part's really good. The, apparently it's funny because a lot of people, when they do these movies, according to the commentaries, they want to be killed off. Like Alec Baldwin was what? like, I'll do this movie, but you <laughs> gotta kill me. And like, and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: That's crazy. That's crazy. Like, why would you want to be killed off in, in any of
1: these movies? I don't know. I don't know. There's mysteries.
2: I wonder if it's cuz like it it ties you up, right? Like then that leaves you from being open to being able to do projects in the future.
1: I think so. Yeah. And Sean Harris like was like in in the previous movie in in Five was like you have to kill me at the end of this movie. And <laughs> they and they just like couldn't figure it, like ah oh, you ended up captured, but you know don't worry, we'll never end up we'll never, you know, whatever. And then they're like or, or maybe we will, and like and then like god damn it. Yeah, so he had to come back.
2: You're the plot of the next movie. (laughs) And he's
1: still alive.
2: He's still alive. (laughs) Well, no, so the
0: natural evolution, if they are playing within the sort of the new traditional storytelling arc is that in Mission Impossible 8, um, you know, he'll come back and, you know, he's had a change of heart or he has to be redeemed or whatever. And so it'll be him and Lane together against the world or whatever, right?
1: His IMDb does not list Mission Impossible 8. So there's that.
0: That is good. Um, so now we have the chase scene and the running and the running and the chase scene. Whew. So I was so in love with this. Having him be in St. Paul's, uh, which we, uh, April and I went to a couple of years ago uh, and checked out. It was just so awesome. Both the awkwardness of him walking around the floor.
1: Really good. The whole thing where it's a, they reveal that he walked into a funeral. Really good gag. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I love it. Again, it's sort of just like, it's this fun, like, I was like, oh, London. Yeah, let, let's see the sights. The Tate Modern, St. Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> it's a shame yeah. they couldn't go to, like, you know, the tower and see the crown jewels. But, like, whatever. It's cool. Like, you know, you can't fit right. it all in in one day. No don't want to tie yourself out.
2: And hopefully we don't destroy these places during filming.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: So you
0: have the long shot of him running and then taking a turn and then jumping from one building to the next building, uh, which famously, he broke his ankle um, when he landed. And they have a couple of different shots that they have on it, but importantly, they the end of it is they switch back to the shot of him climbing up and over and hobbling past the camera because Tom was sure that he was going to get past that goddamn camera before he was going to stop and request any kind of medical attention. That is the top of what you can do.
1: I mean, it's the, that is dedication. It's dedication, except for the fact that it fucked up the rest of the shoot. Right. I mean, like, cause there's like, you know, uh, there's all these others, like the, one of the scenes that, you know, the movie's obviously not, not shot in order. And so one of the things that they had to shoot later was the whole plutonium scene uh where they get the plutonium from the guys and the deal goes wrong and so mm-hmm. like in that scene like all the blocking is tom cruise can't walk so like, <laughs> he cannot put one foot in front of the other so we're just gonna move the camera around a lot so that like you don't notice that tom cruise cannot move or put pressure <sighs> on his foot <laughs>
0: oh my god that's hilarious yeah
2: but they pulled it off, yeah. man. Like I didn't think about the fact he wasn't. I didn't down. either.
1: Into, I I didn't know about the whole broken foot thing until uh, until after I was watching it.
0: Yeah. Well, and so the the climax of this chase is he finally catches up uh, to Lark as he takes off, and is Tom is left standing on top of the Tate. In this beautiful long distance shot, and all the shots of him running, kind of pulled back, were spectacular. But I just want to say that the stunt of standing on top of a building, like that is not a stunt I would be capable of doing.
1: Just so, because of fear of heights?
0: Yeah. So just to okay. put it in context, like I th- see. that, that I, this, that's where I am on the scale, on the Tom Cruise scale.
1: There's a lot of things that Tom Cruise can do that I'm not, I'm not willing to do. That's for sure. I'm, I'll give him that.
2: Fly a helicopter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Learn to fly a helicopter, fly a helicopter, do any of the helicopter stunts, not down.
2: Yeah. That roof is not big.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It was very narrow. Yeah,
0: no. Yeah, that that was it's I bet it's absolutely beautiful, uh, beautiful shot there. So we cut from there to Luther and um, and Ilsa having a talk um, where he's explaining that the background with Julia and the fact that she cares about him. What was your guys take on that scene? We don't spend a lot of time on it, but I just thought it was kind of interesting to have Ving have some emotional work to do uh, in this film.
2: I liked it. I liked that he got to get his moments in this. I mean, he's been through all of these with him, right? I think he's been in all the Mission Impossibles. Like, he's his oldest pal. I think he skipped one or two, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like I like that they give him a moment.
1: They basically said in the commentaries, like, we owed Ving a moment, <laughs> and so we, so we gave him the scene. <laughs> he didn't have much to do in the last one. We made it more yeah. about Simon, so we felt bad and got this. But it got was it. a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> got it.
0: That makes sense. So now we head to Kashmir. And we have Julia, the revelation that uh, that Julia, Tom's uh, ex-wife, who he you know, sacrificed his marriage to in order to keep her safe after the events of Mission Impossible 3. It was so great to see Michelle Monahan. Um, I love her in everything that she's in. Bad, her performance in Bad Santa, mm. her performance in True Detective Season 1. Mm-hmm. Just forget mm-hmm. about it. And then Wes Bentley, I was like... Weren't you just like a teenage boy, and now you're a middle aged man? Like, wait, what? who's that? Is
1: that, <laughs> her, is that her new guy?
0: That's her husband.
1: What was he in?
0: He was in American Beauty. That was his first film. He was the kid in American Beauty. Uh, I mean, he was like he was probably twenty five at that point or whatever.
1: Uh, oh, and he's in Interstellar. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and he's in the oh, he's in the Hunger Games. is Seneca Crane. Oh wow, yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I just.
2: It's got a whole it's thing got a whole going thing.
1: on. I just wrote down eyebrows.
2: <laughs> amazing eyebrows.
1: My, no, my note was my note. My note in my document is ex-wife has a guy with crazy eyebrows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I love the fact that um, you know Tom is doing his thing where he is kind of like as he's talking and he's making up a story and whatever. Um, you know she says he's on vacation and he's like, no, I'm I'm actually working. To send her the signal, she knows instantly that that things are in danger.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's
0: not good. And then they give a hug, and he says, "I'm so sorry." And then, like, it's very tender. And then, point two seconds later, he is sprinting. He just, just yeah. bolts. <laughs> 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 I
2: just bolt. And they all do, yeah, right? Yeah. Like-
1: it would raise questions. <laughs> yeah, they all just bolt. It would raise questions. I think people might look at like four people who just right. showed up and just started running around like maniacs. And be like, Is something up? Is something? Because
3: they're
2: happen? in the middle of nowhere. Literally, yeah.
0: Uh, so they do. They find the bomb immediately. So I did have a note. Like Lane doesn't have anybody left to guard the bombs. Like they just they're just sitting there. I mean, I guess he's guarding one in the house. But I was just surprised that there was nobody left to 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 handle that.
1: You're gonna if we're gonna ask questions about like this part of the movie, like like <laughs> let, okay, let, okay let's fair. let's just throw out the fact that the theory is that they have two bombs. The bombs cannot be diffused separately because they've got this microwave transmitter. They have to be cut within two, a tenth of a second yep. uh, or they'll each go off. But also they have a detonator. And once the detonator is activated, the countdown cannot be stopped.
2: Oh, right. There's that whole thing.
0: <laughs> but but you have to remove
1: the fuse you have to remove the after it's started. Yeah, right. And then do the cut the two things. Now, let me point out, that if you have a countdown that can't be stopped and a guy who's willing to die, wants to die, at the place where the bomb's gonna be set off, you don't really need a countdown. You just need a guy to push a button and set off the bombs. You can avoid this whole situation of like, you know, like have a crazy countdown with it and just have Lane push the button and blow up the (laughs) bomb. But, but,
0: What if you want to have a helicopter chase?
1: Well, then you got to, you got to come up. Then you have a, you have an impossible problem and you need an impossible solution. And like, literally, this is how they talk about it in the commentaries. It's just like, and and I just tell people as Tom Cruise, like, I just tell people, we're going to figure it out as we go. Some things won't make sense, but we just keep going. I'll figure it
2: out. All right. All right.
1: You go, you figure it out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I actually like that. I, I, that is an, an element of uh, of the character Ethan, uh, yeah. aka Tom. That idea of saying I'm just going to figure it out. Um, actually, there's a great moment where um, Walker is saying something to him about you know what are they going to do because oh Solomon's going to identify him when they break when they break him and uh, out him to the White right. Widow. This is when he's undercover, and Tom's response is we'll burn that bridge when we when get, we get there. to it.
1: And that's like yeah, that is like the philosophy of making a movie.
0: Not cross not cross yeah burn that bridge burn the
1: bridge yeah and so like there is like this element of improv that the filmmakers talk about where they're like yeah they get themselves into these problems and then they have to like figure out some story solution to like the mm. the corner they painted themselves into which is not unique to this movie the mission impossible movie that's also how Kubrick right no 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 no, Kubrick was an obsessive planner who, like, planned out, like, every...
0: I was thinking of him, Kubrick, pushing his actors to the point of breaking them down to the yeah, point Yeah, pushing his actor.
1: But, like, if, from a story standpoint, he was, he, like, you know, like, n- like, you know, Napoleon... Like, the Napoleon movie's never filmed, but there's, like, 80,000... Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, cue cards totally. that will show you story exactly ha- what and, was supposed yeah. to happen. No, but this is this is, like, how... Um, my understanding is like part, like partly like episode nine was this way Is they are just like, I don't know, like what's, you know, we're going to have this, like we're going to need like this story solution. Like, you know, let's find out what happens along the way.
2: You know, a lot of movies are made that way.
1: A lot of movies are made that way. That's crazy to me. Like it doesn't, that doesn't (laughs) seem great. Like I, I, I mean like, you know, obviously it works. Like this movie was a commercial, like all the movies are commercial successes, but like, I mean like, you know, just like, can't you just get some cards and write down what you think is going to happen in the third act? Like, is that like too much to ask? Like I have before you, before you spend $170 million on a wind turbine, like just like,
2: I mean the crazy, the crazy thing is like these things get greenlit. Right. And then like the second they get greenlit, then they set the release date. Right. And then they sort of backtime time everything from there. So then everyone's scrambling and they're like, Oh, we got to figure this shit out. Mm. And so that's how a lot of these movies are made is like, they get announced and then they figure it out.
0: Yeah. Well, typically you think about filmmaking by committee or something. Um, but I, I I mean I definitely echo that that Jason. For me, it was it's kind of shocking the fact that there wasn't more regimented process on, for instance, episode seven, eight, nine to say like, this is the story, story this arc, is what's happening. We're, yeah. And we're gonna bring in people to execute each part.
1: It was more like as a more like like we're just gonna have this creative team and like we're trusting them to like figure stuff out and like here's yeah, you know, go for it. Mm. The project manager and me kind of—I just don't—I don't get that. But I don't—I don't make movies, so I
0: won't, we won't put you on the spot uh, or, or on the record for commenting on Star Wars-related
1: <laughs> management uh. techniques. So it is crazy that like so many movies are made that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, pretty much every movie I've worked on in the past—I don't know—at least decade has been like that, where it's just been a mad dash to try to figure out how to like make it all together, make it, get it all together, and make it all work. And yeah, thankfully there's people that figure that out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what what you said completely resonates. I remember hearing Favreau talk about after the success of Iron Man, the fact that he was told, here's the date for Iron Man 2. Eddie was like, you're fucking kidding me. Um, And then we got to go figure out how to make it happen. Uh, So yeah, definitely a challenge.
2: Iron Man, by the way, just weird sidebar. That was my favorite movie I've ever worked on. Oh, that's great. That's like... Favreau's great. We didn't know Downey Jr. was going to be so amazing, yeah. and it turned oh, out yeah. to just be so much fun. Like, love that movie.
1: That's great to hear. It's a delightful movie. I'm excited for how much more of the Marvel Universe Favreau is hopefully being given to run. I think that would be the, uh, a good turn of events for everyone.
2: He's got his fingers on a lot of pies right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, no doubt.
0: I would like to see him continue getting into the Star Wars world, ideally. Yeah. All right. So so from here, we have two last pieces that kind of drive us to many different climaxes of, Good Lord. of action. There's a lot in this uh,
1: movie. I'm like tired. I'm tired just like remembering <laughs> what was in the movie. There's just a lot. It's just a well, lot going We're going to hit.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll close this. We'll close this out. Uh, but so you have the Benji I need a nap Ilsa. before we go on. We can't just, <laughs> we can't just. You uh, need an espresso? Oh my God. So we have the Benji Ilsa lane fight which to me is a really really great fight. It's fight. super funny and yeah. has all these really great intricacies like the moment where she kicks the box over when he's choking.
1: Yeah, it's like a Jackie Chan fight really.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah, she does she does her like anti-flash. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's
1: funny. That's funny. Her, her reverse flash dance move. That's really funny. Reverse
0: flash dance. Yeah. This was no Zarda's, uh, you know, chicken fight, uh, type thing. this was real, this was a real, this this was a real, real fight.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I love that, uh, how that, how that all went out. Um, oh, and I did note she had the rope at one point and she lashed out like she had a hidden, sl- a secret sleeve.
1: It was very, I'm telling you, it was like very Crouching Tiger. It was like, there was a very, like a, you know, like kind of like a, uh, uh, Kung Fu movie element to this, uh, to that, that fight scene. Um, which I really liked.
0: All right, so while that fight scene is unfolding, we we get to Tom Cruise loves helicopters.
1: Tom Cruise loves helicopters. That was a, that was the working title for Mission Impossible Six.
0: <laughs> so him running up and grabbing the rope, and then the helicopter takes off. Now, I'm smart enough to know yeah. he's on wires, the wires are, cu- are, are, you know, bolted onto the helicopter, and there is literally no way that he could fall um, and be significantly damaged. But the concept of running up and grabbing a rope and hanging from the bottom of the helicopter, and then climbing up the helicopter in a subsequent shot and falling all the way down, bouncing off that thing.
1: Yeah, they really dropped that dude. They dropped him for real. They dropped him five times onto that. Onto that. That's so insane. They, they, they that is a. They really bounced Tom Cruise off of a giant a giant rock hanging from a helicopter. I don't know what that was. I don't know. It was like laundry or something. <laughs> yeah. What,
2: what was going? It's yeah. I didn't know what it was either. I also went like it seemed important for some right. reason.
1: <laughs> That's wild though. Like five times they're like, yeah, we're gonna drop Tom Cruise onto this giant rock. Uh, out of a helicopter like at like (laughs) at like real speed and like he's like yeah he's like it really hurt like every time not it like knocked (laughs) the wind out of you and they're like people watched it like there's rebecca ferguson's like was what are they doing over there and they saw him and she saw him fall and she just screams
0: (laughs) she's like oh my god jesus
1: (laughs) amazing stuff
0: uh so i do love when he finally gets up into the helicopter there is again this great moment where the guy looks at him like Good
1: guess. where the hell do you come what? from yeah <laughs> where'd this dude in the helicopter come from you'd be surprised um, if you were in an a helicopter and a dude like just suddenly popped up you would be shocked
0: yeah so you have this uh chase and crashing and, and all that kind of stuff but i do want to say the colors for all of this and in general the scenery so we have shots from queenstown new zealand we have lake quill Overflowing into the Sutherland Falls, like down two thousand feet, um, and then eventually they crash, and we have the
1: they crash into Norway, Preikestolen. 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 Okay. Yeah. Have you been there? Yeah, the uh, preacher. I have been there. The preacher's pulpit. It's beautiful. Uh, before they crash, though, there's a great scene where they're flying. So, I mean, the whole thing about Tom Cruise flying the helicopters, he learned how to fly helicopters, then he learned how to do the acrobatic stunts, and then he does this crazy, like, he does, like, the crazy corks... This is another thing, like, the halo jump. Like, he does this corkscrew dive, which is very dangerous, and, like, you know, like, is... Tom Cruise could have crashed his helicopter into a fjord, and you know would have been a very tragic ending. And like, it's not clear like why, like for what shot, like of Tom Cruise being in that, like the the exterior shot. Anyone could have been flying the helicopter. Like it doesn't. Mm. The fact that Tom Cruise is flying it doesn't really matter. Uh, it does matter. I mean, for like, it does
0: it does <laughs> matter because you know he's flying it.
1: Yeah, this is like some sort of like you know, uh, Meta. like gourmand theory of film where it's like, you need to know like where the, you know, the cow came from, like in order to <laughs> appreciate its flavor. It's like, I don't know, maybe, but there's a great scene where Tom is flying the helicopter in the helicopter battle. And he looks at, he looks at Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill realizes it's him. And he just goes, that's right. Like Tom Cruise, like gives him a, gives <laughs> him like, a, no no, right.
0: no, no, the line, cause I wrote this down. Oh, the line, the line is,
1: Right. Prick.
0: That's right, prick.
1: Oh, great! Oh, great! It's <laughs> even better. Loved it. That's right. I prick.
2: feel this whole helicopter thing is. I mean, I, helicopters were like a big thing, like in '80s. You know, Airwolf
0: right. and Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder? Blue Thunder was that right the thing.
2: And I feel like I feel like that they went out of vogue. Yeah, like people didn't have. Epic helicopter battles yeah. for a really long yeah. time. So it's nice that he
1: And they it literally out. just said like they're like they say in the commentary like We've long wanted to do a helicopter fight. Like we wanted it. We just wanted to do a <laughs> helicopter fight. And so we were gonna fucking do it. We had 170 million dollars. Tom wanted to learn how to fly helicopters. Let's we go. were we, that was the one postcard on the cork board was helicopter fight. <laughs> and we just worked around from that. Nailed it. It's wild shit. But yes, going back to Prekistolen, the preacher's pulpit in Norway overlooks the Lysfjord. uh, just a really beautiful fucking beautiful part of the world. And like you, I mean, it's, you, that is what you see what it, you see what it is. It's pretty dope.
0: Yeah. Well, that showdown, that showdown was good. Um, at that point I was like really exhausted um, kind of getting, getting through it, but um, you know, that final resolution there and it comes down to Tom climbing again, which is a callback to Mission mm-hmm. Impossible 2. Yeah. Um, but it's like, in that moment, it's like, oh yeah, this is my thing. I know how to do this rock climbing. Uh, that's, that's my, that's my happy place. <laughs> Um, so that's the, that's the close. they, you know, he, he pulls the pin, they're able to, to cut the thing. There's a beautiful shot of him hanging on the edge as Mm. the, the sun, uh, you know, the light of the sun faking you out about whether a nuke just went off. Um, that was really cool. And then you have this final wrap up with him in the hospital bed and, uh, and talking to Julia. And to me, this was intense, this notion that, uh, you know, she has this cross to bear, but she accepts it. Um, She says, look at me, look at my life. I love what I do and would not have found it if I hadn't met you. I'm a survivor. Uh, Nothing happened because you were here. I sleep soundly at night knowing you always will be. I just thought that was,
1: I know who I marry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did Ilsa whisper to her?
2: This is like the Lost in Translation. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, what's what's going on? No, we're not going to tell you. Sorry. cut
0: you. (laughs) (laughs) Beat it!
3: <laughs>
1: I murder people. <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: know. Uh, Lorelai, last any closing thoughts on Mission Impossible Fallout? Anything we missed, or, or anything you want to uh, you want to add?
2: Well, you know, I was just thinking at that that last scene where it's Julia, and then in comes Ilsa and it's like we're going to replace you with the younger one.
1: I know. <laughs> I like I felt
2: like it, it ended that way. I felt that, that too. Not,
1: mm,
2: kind of bummed mm, me out yeah. that that's that's how that was going to end. But I I mean aside mm. from that one thing, but this is the kind of movie that I want to see in a theater Mm -hmm. and I miss going to theaters Mm -hmm. and being able to like see these huge blockbusters watching this again just made me, it made me miss that experience. Mm. When I,
0: so I know you've had a running Twitter thread about the 1918 pandemic. When will we be back in theaters?
2: I don't know. I'm really, I'm really bummed about that. I I just finished the Twitter thread uh, pretty recently and there's too many things out in play, right? Mm -hmm. I think what what you might need is like definitely some government support because that's what happened in 1918 was a lot of the independent theaters is that they, you know, they asked for Mm. government rebates Mm -hmm. so that they could account for the time that they were closed. Um, So, you know, that kind of needs to happen.
0: We should say briefly, AMC announced today that they may run out of cash by the end of the year.
2: I saw that. I saw that. But on the other hand, I'm like, yeah. There are just too many screens, right? Like these cineplexes are just outrageous and they're empty for so much time. Mm. Like during the day, they're practically empty, right? They're mostly there for weekends. Mm-hmm. So in 1918, the theaters were independently owned. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't most, they, they were chains yet. Um, it would be nice if they could go back to just sort of like smaller houses. I think that they'd be cared for a little bit more, you know? Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I can't predict the future especially these days, I feel like everything is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to be able to be in a movie theater again, but I also don't want to get COVID.
0: Well, we will. I'm confident that we will uh, in the fullness of time. Um, And I'm hoping that's sometime around next summer. Yeah. Sometime to see Dune. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Jason, your final thoughts. uh, And what did we learn about Dune 2020, either from the spectacle of this film or from Rebecca Ferguson's performance?
1: I'm, I'm, I mean, like, I was really, it's, this is, like, the first, I, this is, like, the first, like, big action movie I've watched in a minute, I guess, um, and I, I, and I love the genre, I just I hadn't seen one in a minute, and I, like I said, I wasn't familiar with this franchise, and so, like, digging into, like, sort of, like, the meta layer of this movie I was pretty excited about what you can do with $200 million. Like, it, <laughs> like you can do a lot, like it turns out. Like, you can do a lot. Like, you can build a giant wind turbine. You can, like, drop people out of planes repeatedly to get a three-minute shot over Abu Dhabi. You can, like, you know, do this crazy helicopter chase over New Zealand. Uh, they got the Arc de Triomphe for two hours. They shut down the entirety. It was the first time that anyone's ever been given the Arc de Triomphe to, like, shut down, like, of the entirety of, uh, of the 12, like, to give them the ability to do that uh that shot in paris that's and because tom respects
0: this. the people of paris
1: they yeah if they, if they hadn't done that screening if they hadn't like put up that silk like they, the love and the respect for the people of paris wouldn't have been there they wouldn't get that shot um so they got all of this stuff that like you just don't i mean all these incredible locations and obviously dune doesn't need most of that it's gonna spend it in these other ways and mm. I, I don't know man it feels like it's just a lot of money. You can do a lot. You can, there's a, there's a lot you can do. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see it applied. Also, the other thing I'll say is, um, we talked a bit about how this movie and many other movies are made with, you know, we don't know where the story is going. We'll find it along the way. Like that's like a dominant theory in in blockbuster filmmaking. We know that's not true for Dune. We know for sure that is not true for Dune. They know where they're going. Like they have a very clear blueprint. Like Denny is very faithful to the book. Uh, He's talked about being one to be faithful to the book. So there's no like discovering the plot points along the way. Um, And so I'm interested to see this level of production applied to something where we know where the story is going. Totally. um, With incredible actors such as Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very excited about it. I am specifically excited about – You know, Denny said, relative to Rebecca Ferguson, he didn't want Lady Jessica to be a quote, space nun. Which is what he thought she was right. in Lynch's Dune, um, mm-hmm. and that he wanted her to be more of like a warrior priestess. Um, and I think you have both the, the strength and the power, as well as um, some of the emotional core demonstrated here. Um, and I'm certainly interested in in seeing her, uh, and just like just the shots of her in the trailer um, have looked really incredible. And and I'm just I, I'm very very excited to see to see what she does. So I watched four, five, and six over the last four days. um, So I got deep, deep into it. Wow. I will say, Jason, you 100% should go watch Rogue Nation, which-
1: Yeah, I'm going to, for sure.
0: It's a better better film in terms of the story and kind of the- making sense and, and, and things that are happening. Uh, it still has plenty of its moments that are, that are way over the top, but, um, but it is, uh, I, I think some of this, the stuff they did, the opera in particular is like the highlight of all mission Impossible movies for me ever. Um, just really, really great. So, um, so check that out, uh, and see what you think. Great. All right. So we have one last piece of business, um, uh, before we get to letters, which is who would Tilda Swinton play? Lorelai.
2: Ah, uh, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, I was thinking uh, Nils, the scientist, with the manifesto.
0: Mm. Oh mm. yeah, sure, sure.
2: Because I could see her like just going off on that yeah. manifesto. Nice. <laughs> yeah, unhinged
0: and uh, and and kind of uh, giddy uh, in that performance. Yeah. Nice,
1: Jason. Yeah. Well, that leads to the trick shot, which would be that she plays Wolf Blitzer in this movie. <laughs> uh, no, I may
0: go to and now Wolf Blitzer, but it's just her, no makeup, just
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, but the non trick shot version is I think I would like to see her in the Sean Harris role. Uh yes, as Lane. Yeah, as Lane. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really yeah. cool. Uh I,
0: I thought she'd be a great Benji as well.
1: Yeah.
2: I was thinking Benji too, but I love yeah. Simon Pegg so much and yeah, I want to replace him For sure,
0: him. for sure. Simon Pegg is like, do not kill my character ever.
1: He seems stoked about being, Simon Pig seems like a fun time. He like seems stoked to be doing this.
2: Yeah. He also looks
0: like he's getting a little ripped.
1: Yeah. He's in good shape, man. He's in good shape.
2: Well, he's probably training with Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's an agent.
0: Okay. That brings us to letters. Let's see. I have one letter and one voicemail. Ooh. And again, I don't read these in advance. I try and get a a live reaction.
1: (laughs) For purity's sake.
0: (laughs) This first one is, Hello, friend. My name is Reem Hashimi, the Emirates Minister of State and Managing Director of the United Arab Emirates, Uh Dubai. Uh World Expo 2020 Committee, which has been postponed October 21st to March 22nd because of COVID. I'm writing to manage the funds I received as a financial (laughs) gratification from... (laughs) I'm not sure. This <laughs> is. It's so good. Yeah.
1: That's a great gag. Yeah. Well played. Thank you,
0: Reem. Thank you, Reem Hashimi. Uh, follow up that's with great. Uh, offline. That's great. All right. All right. Here is our listener voicemail.
4: H. Hey, Jason and esteemed guest. <laughs> uh, man, a great episode with uh, Zardoz. Uh, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've watched it. I didn't remember it being so wacky. Um I have to definitely revisit it after you guys <laughs> talk about it. Uh, I do remember thinking during your whole episode, like, man, I can't wait to call these guys about this. It was such a good episode until Jason betrayed the entire pod and called excalibur, oh wow, and I quote crash yes kind do a little correction uh but I don't know, Jason's really standing by that not liking Excalibur and I don't
0: know, dude. Like, <laughs> Lorelai, I, I just have to pause. Lorelai, do you have a a, a take on John Borman's 1981 masterpiece, masterpiece Excalibur?
2: <laughs> I do not. I can't even remember if I've seen that.
0: <laughs> okay, so I won't ask you to repeat the charm of making, nor will I uh, it, it vocalize the charm of making again two weeks in a row. But
1: if you do it twice, then something. Uh oh.
4: Uh oh.
0: Okay. Put it on the put it on the list. <laughs> put it on the list and check it out. All right. Continuing with Corey's
4: voicemail. <laughs> i thought thought we had something i always look forward to all your deep insights and yeah funny yeah quips and jokes and i don't know anymore Um, (laughs) anyway maybe you can redeem yourself maybe we we should all rewatch excalibur together um and then really have a come to i was gonna say like a come to jesus moment but that doesn't seem appropriate. Uh, <laughs> but maybe it does for shower. <laughs> um, but anyway, mm. um, I guess in the words of uh, Hate slash Duncan to Jason is uh, Mentat, solve thyself.
1: Damn, <laughs> that was a good voicemail shout out to Corey. Uh, I do want to apologize. I was listening to the podcast and I got really feisty in the last like 20 minutes of, of, uh, Zardoz and was just like, just, just really, just (laughs) really trying to rip some hearts out. And I don't, I don't think I actually have that strong of an opinion about Excalibur. Uh, I was just, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I did betray the <laughs> podcast. Corey's right. And, no, uh,
0: no, no, no. And like everybody <laughs> has the, has the right to love what they love. Uh, so we, yeah. we will we respect your opinion. Although I will say I'm very tempted to cover Excalibur in season three.
1: Yeah, I think we should. I think that would be right. I, I agree to that as penance.
0: Okay, nice. Very good. <laughs>
1: Uh, I have, I have just like one or two small notes okay. in the letters section. Go for it. Uh, one is, uh, Keith Frazier, uh, to Keith asked us if we were going to cover incendies, uh, Denny Villeneuve's movie. Yes. Uh, and we will cover it at some point. We're doing prisoners next week. Uh, incendies, I believe will be in season three.
0: Yes, we'll definitely.
1: Yeah. But we're definitely going to, well, anything Villeneuve's done, we will cover. Uh, and then one other point, uh, about Zardas. Oh yeah. Nick Nick O'Neill, in response to our posting about Zardoz or episode about Zardoz said, this is definitely the weirdest James Bond film, (laughs) which I thought was a really good on Zardoz and kind of blew my mind because Zardoz is, of course, a movie of a race of eternal beings who achieve immortality through gemstones. And so, honestly, Diamonds Are Forever would have been a better title for Zardoz than Zardoz, which is, I mean... Love it! Yeah. The
0: problem is they couldn't get it to they couldn't get it to fit in the logo in the metal the metal style logo. <laughs> Lorelai, uh, as we wrap it up, what um, you know? What are you excited about? What do you have going on? What can you talk about that that uh, is is your next thing that that is making you happy?
2: Um, well, I'm currently working on Space Jam, uh, and I actually amazing. don't know anything about sports ball, but uh, it turns out this LeBron guy is a really cool dude. Like <laughs>
1: he's good. I, He's good at basketball too.
2: <laughs> I like him.
1: He had a good week. He had a good week. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it turns out he had he was also had a really good week. And I just he just seems like a really good guy. So it makes me it makes me feel happy that I'm working on this because I feel like I'm, I want to support good people, you know.
0: At King James on Twitter, like one of the one of the all time.
1: Uh, that's good. I think I think LeBron James needs our plug for people to find out where he is. They might not be able to find they, LeBron James. Very little known, but once he gets that Dune Pod shout out, people are going to start finding. Out.
0: That's it. The Dune Pod bump is going to get that works every time. Yeah, it works every time. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I wanna thank Jason and Lorelai for a really fun conversation. Next week, we tackle Denny Villeneuve's first American feature film, 2013's psychological thriller, Prisoners. It's dark, but it's amazing. If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us at DunePod on Instagram and Twitter and share our social media posts as it really helps new listeners find the show. DunePod is a production of H Industries, a member of the Paper Keg Radio Syndicate. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.